Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amr Talawalia is joined by Rovi Brannan, Vice Provost of the University of Washington's Continuum College. The two discuss the ins and outs of delivering on the 60-year curriculum vision and reflect on how colleges and universities can transform into true hubs of lifelong learning. Roby, thank you so much for joining me on the Illumination podcast. It's great to be chatting with you in this context. Well, it's great to be here and it's uh, exciting to be talking about these topics that we're talking about today. Absolutely. And and we are going to dive right into it because, I mean, for the uh, for, for the learner's uh, knowledge, you know, Rovi and I have just been sitting here for the last 10 minutes having a conversation about the future of higher education, the trends that are shaping our industry. And we both kind of had a moment of, wait, that's what the podcast is supposed to be about. So <laughs> we decided to turn the recorder on. Always Rovi, keep rolling. Always keep rolling. Yeah, always record. <laughs> Rovi, let's start off right at the top. I mean, what are the trends that you're seeing, you know, significantly impacting our industry over the next five years? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the most exciting times, I think, to be in higher ed that I've seen in the last 25 years, to be very honest with you. Um, I think so much is um, so much is still unknown coming out of the pandemic. Uh, and, I, and I know we still have the pandemic with us, so we're not necessarily coming out of it, but we're coming out of that phase of existence that I think we all felt for the last two years. Um, certainly, uh, we, we know, for example, um, in the next five years, so five years is a pretty short time horizon for higher ed in, in some cases, yes. but to be very realistic about this, um, I think one of the trend lines that we're looking at is pre-pandemic online was a thing and it was a separate thing from the mm. rest of the university. And post-pandemic, I think what we're, what we're starting to see is a continuum of modalities in a different kind of mix than maybe we thought of as traditional face-to-face for traditional students and online for non-traditional students. And so now we're seeing hybrid blends that maybe we had never thought of. We're seeing faculty in in mass more comfortable with some aspects of technology, maybe more frightened of other aspects of technology where they didn't have a good experience before. Um, But nonetheless, we have really opened the door for people to understand how educational technology is gonna have a much bigger impact But I think what we're going to see over the next five years is a more subtle view of that impact versus the very stark view of online versus the more traditional environments that we've seen. And I I think that's already starting to happen as we talk about what it's going to look like in the next few years. Well, as you envision this more sort of diverse, more, call it modality agnostic higher ed world. What does that mean in terms of the way institutions need to structure themselves, the way services need to be designed, the way we interact with our learners? Because this is, you know, we very much, to your point, it's been a binary. You're either an online student or you're a face-to-face student. And in some weird instances, they might do some kind of, you know, hybrid or high flex offering. But you're right. I mean, we're kind of in an environment now where students can really choose their modalities. Students can access one course or one program through a number of modalities simultaneously, how does the institution need to organize itself or reorganize itself to make sure that every learner it serves is is getting the experience that's, you know, commiserate with the brand of the institution? 
Well, I know we only have a limited time on our podcast, um, but it's a <laughs> hold question. on, I'll set the timer for an That's hour. Right. We'll set the timer. We and we'll see where we go. Um, I think there that almost every aspect of how we operate is going to have to be looked at in a different mm. way. Um, there are obviously we're a highly regulated industry or field. Uh, we have a lot of uh, federal and state regulations that sort of dictate a lot of the norms about the way that we tend to operate. So understanding that that's just a part of the reality and that environment also has to shift as we move forward in order for us to fully realize all the changes that might need to happen within educational institutions. Uh, because it's everything from policies about when students graduate, what effective graduation times look like. Uh, it's looking at different kinds of credentials. Um, so in other words, stacking credentials in different ways so that we can open the door to part-time students who might have to stop out, but we don't want them stopping out and becoming part of that some college and no credential uh, population that is so pernicious right now. We can, yes. we can structure programs in different ways to sort of think about that. So I think there are programmatic structures that we can look at to change. Those are almost easier, even as hard as that might sound, to think about than I think some of the more fundamental changes in the way that our student services might be structured, our payment systems might be structured, uh, how we think about uh, where students are uh, getting services. Uh, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we have thought, well, if they're an online student, they don't necessarily need all the same services that a campus-based student can get. And we certainly see during the pandemic, our online students needed mental health care support just as much, if not more, than our campus students as yes. one example. And it's almost easy if you think in that binary uh, between fully online and fully on campus, and you can almost see a service array emerge for two different populations. Yep. I think when we start combining that, we'll find both opportunities to think about services in different ways, but also real challenges that don't exist in the binary uh, in those spaces with say a student that might be hybrid and doing part of their work on campus, part of their work remotely. Um, and, and so those are, uh, those are gonna be emergent um, at Continuum College. And I think this is just, this was pre-pandemic and we're gonna see this accelerate. Um, we have a group we call our enrollment services coaches. And as I take a step back and look at that, it's really work that an advisor might've done a number of years ago, but we're starting to even split the advisor role into subspecialties like a pre-enrollment person who can help you understand where a course fits into your life or going back to school fits into your life. Not a recruiter, but really helping coach you on what the next step is in higher ed. Retention coaches. So we see some of those that might've been in the purview of an advisor or even a faculty member, but now we have specialized retention coaches. And I think we're gonna see additional services like this that will start to stack specifically intended to support students either fully online or in these hybrid modalities that are moving in and out of the college spaces. So I think that's going to start to happen as well. You know, and you've used an interesting term there, which I think is, is worthy of further exploration, which is the idea of a student moving in and out of the learning space. Um, because as, as we start to think about the, this more flexible engagement, it's not just through a program, it's through a lifetime of programming. And of course, you and I uh, years ago with Inside Higher Ed did a pretty fun webinar uh, looking at the concept of the 60-year curriculum, the steps that it would take. Um, you know, We were fortunate to be joined by Hunt for that one, Hunt Lambert. Um, so that was pre-pandemic. Uh, and as you think about the 60-year curriculum model today, do you feel it's more do you feel we're accelerating our movement towards that kind of, of a flexible learning environment? Or do you think it, it's hit a roadblock in its, in its sort of adoption? I think we're seeing it accelerate. Uh, it's a wonky term. Let's be real. I mean, yes. it's not going to hear students or parents probably talking about. No. It's something that those of us in higher education, it's even hard to understand it maybe within higher education, but 
um, I just had the great uh, opportunity to interview um, Andrew Scott, who's the uh, author of the book, The 100-Year Life, Living and Working in an Age of Longevity. Uh, despite the pandemic and what we might be hearing about, about temporary pullbacks in longevity, we're actually going to see the pandemic accelerate longevity as we move forward because science has accelerated mm -hmm. due to the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. So people are living longer and healthier. An 18-year-old has a better than 50% chance to live past the age of 100 today. So this is from our previous time when we talked about this, right? Yep. And if you're going to live to 100, you'll likely work until you are 85 years old. And that's a 60-year working life. And just let's overlay artificial intelligence, Web3, how fast things are changing on a decade by decade basis. Mm -hmm. The idea that we're going to give an 18 year old all they need in a four year knowledge inoculation to then span a 60 year working life. Yes. And then a much longer life that's still moving and that's still happening. And I think there is a greater recognition of that perhaps coming through the lens of our workforce and the older workers that are in the workforce as companies are seeing the great resignation, the great retirement, whatever, the great reevaluation as it's occurring and beginning to recognize that they need to be able to find and retool older workers and beginning to look at older populations as a real untapped resource, but only if they have the right training skills and capabilities to move in the modern environment. And so in many ways, whether we call it a 60-year curriculum or whether we call it just the need to have people uh, retool and reskill throughout their lifetimes, we are seeing faster movement happen post-pandemic than I think we ever saw prior to the pandemic. And, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit um, prior to, to turning the recording on, but obviously in this environment, we're talking about a broad shift in institutional culture, institutional operation, institutional philosophy and strategy towards the areas where continuing ed, workforce development, professional ed, online ed, divisions that served that part of the market really specialized. So how, how do you see the role of, you know, for shorthand, call them PCO units, evolving as the higher ed in as the higher ed industry broadly becomes more flexible and more open? Um, so I work at the University of Washington in Seattle, and um, I can give you an example of what's been happening to our unit. Even before I came in here, I've been here about eight years. <clears throat> my no position, way. I know, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Oh my but, God. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah, we're both having a senior moment here. Like we've been yeah, we've known each other how long at this point? Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> what? Um, uh, and because we knew each other when I was back in Wisconsin. Right? Yeah, so it's, it's been say, a long time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm a vice provost and most of my colleagues are deans. Now, this was a very intentional move by the University of Washington, probably about 13 or 14 years ago to begin to say, we want an online unit, or excuse me, we want an, um, an adult and continuing ed unit and online uh, mm. that is designed to serve the institution and the institution's needs. And so I'm specifically not in a dean role. So many of my colleagues are deans um, and they run a unit and sort of work either, they might work across the institution, but they really have a localized purview. My job is to really work with all the schools and colleges and departments and help them with their lifelong learning needs and help them move forward. So yes, the institution may be taking this up in a different way. It does not mean the institution is ready and mm -hmm. that our 
uh, faculty units understand what it means to build shorter courses, build different kinds of programs, build for uh, different audiences than they've typically served. So I think there is still maybe a growing need to see more broad-based services across an institution in lifelong learning versus having those concentrated in a single unit. And as I've talked to PCO units across the country, a common theme I'm hearing is we want a unit that operates a little bit more like Continuum College and a little bit less like a unit on its own, in part for the yeah. reasons that you are talking about. It's no longer okay to say adult students go over here and our traditional students go over there as the population is shifting to be mostly older students in, in, in higher education today. Absolutely. And I mean, within that context, I'm, what are, how do you see the, the responsibility and role of these divisions sort of evolving over time? Cause there's, you know, I, I and you and I, I've, ta I've talked about this for a while. I think you and I have talked about this, the idea of continuing ed as call it a service provider. It's a little reductive though. But the role of, of a continuing ed division as being sort of the catalyst for lifelong learning institution-wide is something that I think many of us have been pushing for for years. But what happens when the institution becomes a lifelong learning organization? What, what role does then PCO start to take on? Yeah, I think part of that is taking us back to our roots a little bit. Why were we founded? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's different at different institutions. Uh, my unit was founded in 1912, so over 110 years ago. And it's interesting to look at that history. We were actually founded as the progressive wing of the institution uh, during a time of very high populism in the country where people did not see higher ed reflecting the needs of the general population. And in many cases, in many states like Washington and California, there was a real movement to completely defund universities from public funding. And so extension units were founded to serve those who the university does not tend to serve. Now, regardless of whether the universities are starting to move more into holistic life while learning, there are still tremendous audiences that are not being served by yes. the higher education system in this country today. And so beginning to reflect on that mission of who is not served today, I think for us at the University of Washington, that includes taking our diversity, equity, and belonging mission and reformulating that into a new social compact that says, this is how we want to have social impact through the lens of who is not served by the traditional academy today versus who we might have thought of as being underserved 20, 30, 50, 60 years ago. And so I think if we reignite that core passion of why we exist at our institutions, there will always be audiences that are not being served by the mainstream uh, institution that need new and different ways to engage and to benefit from the knowledge that we're creating in different forms of dissemination, not just courses, uh, not just certificates. Um, I'm having some really fascinating conversations right now about university dissemination as software. And so um, let, me, let me just make yeah, it the most let's... simple thing I can. <laughs> um, I said, what if we don't have program managers, but what if we have apps that are delivering education in a completely different way, right? So most of us don't have apps on iPhones. You know, we're, we're, we may be doing online through the web, mm -hmm. but technology is moving so quickly that we have this ability to do things in very different ways than we've ever done before. So even, even some of us in instructional design are still stuck in the web-based mentality of using our traditional learning management systems to deliver online. Yeah. And we call that online learning. 
let's just take one look at how any of us does anything else in our lives today. And very few of us are pulling out a laptop or a computer on a moment by moment basis to -hmm. continue to learn. And so this is where I say, it may not actually be a program in the same way that you think about it, but how are we using software in a different way? And if you begin to think about mobile and augmented and artificial intelligence that can really begin to help people move into these spaces in different ways, there's a completely different way we think about reaching new students and different audiences. I mean, as we evolve into that new model, it, it is it is fascinating to think about the intersection of technologies evolution uh, alongside um, the the transformation of, of learning practice. Because when we, you know, we think about Moore's law, we think about it really, and, and Moore's law for, uh, for anyone who's curious, it's computing power doubles every 18 to 24 months. And we think about that in terms of its impact on, you know, human skills, its impact on the necessity for ongoing training and lifelong learning to ensure that, you know, you're not replaceable by a robot, for example. It's, it's We think about Moore's law and, and the impact it has on, on, on the labor market, but very rarely in terms of the impact it can have on learning approaches. And what's fascinating is as we start to get away from courses and we start to get away from programs and potentially get away from sections and start creating opportunities for adaptive on-the-go learning, um, what does that start to do in terms of our philosophy around credentialing, our philosophy around the role of the institution itself? Because the institution, what's the core product of the institution starts to come into question when we step away from a traditional programming model. Yeah, I think there's um, there are a few different elements there, right? One is the credentialing component and how that is shifting. And I think that's going to change to be more reflective of what is happening uh, as we see um, higher ed evolving, right? So we already know we can look at digital credentialing and alternative credentials. There's a lot of names for what we might talk about there. I do think that's one space where this is particularly particularly changing. Um, so I, I, another interview that I did recently was with Ken Sanderson, um, and he is the head of uh, autonomous AI for Microsoft. Cool. And uh, he he built a course. He's co-built a course with us uh, in autonomous AI. It's available on Coursera. Um, I'm not plugging this, but I think it's a it's 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 really kind of interesting what he's doing right now because in the interview, part of what he talked about is we began asking where we're going with artificial intelligence and technology more generally in the environment. And he, he, he has a great quote that I just absolutely love. He said, if we, if we want technology to do good things for us, we must do good things with technology. And I, and, and part of our conversation was I said, and here's what I think education itself is a technology and education as a technology, and I don't mean computers, I mean, mm-hmm. it is a tool to get something done for humanity. Yes. And technologies must co-evolve or they get out of balance one with another and you begin to lose the ability to have influence over our new technological environment if we're not recognizing that the technology that we call education also has to change to keep up with the reality of how the world is changing. And he gave a really great example of uh, how artificial intelligence is less replacing jobs and more starting to sit alongside people who might not be experts, but almost immediately give them the ability to perform at a level of expertise that could have taken years for somebody to build mm-hmm. up, right? That is a completely different way to think about 
how technology sits alongside human learning. And education has to co-evolve to understand that that is a reality of where our workplaces are moving. And how do we support that in the way that our education works today? So it's not our old memorized facts, spit it out on a test. This is much more, how do you work in these constantly changing environments with other, um, and I won't call them sentient intelligent entities, but other entities with different kinds of intelligence that are supporting your work in ways that I think are very different than we've seen in the last uh, human history, but certainly in the last 10 or 15 years of our office places. And so I think all of that has to come together in the way we're viewing this as we move forward. Absolutely. You know, Roby, I, I do want to give you an opportunity here because the, the podcast you and your team are doing is, is, I mean, it's fascinating. So do you want to take just a, a minute or two and just, you know, tell our listeners about the podcast that you've launched, why you decided to do it and, and where you're going with it? Yeah, so um, it's not as um, grand as what you do uh, on a regular basis. So it's a very limited series. It's only going to be five episodes. So we're not doing oh. a, uh, we're not doing it infinitely. Although we're having a lot of fun uh, meeting and talking to really interesting people. I would highly uh, recommend this is, uh, as a format. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. Um, uh, but we decided to look at really the intersectionality of longevity, and the changing of skills, uh, and. Um, how we are adapting in higher education to make that happen. And we call the podcast Learn, Earn, Relearn. And, uh, and the first two episodes have launched. Uh, I just listened to the third one. It's going to launch next week. Um, really fantastic. Our, our good friend Paul Fain is on that. We've got some oh, wow. other folks that are coming in. So, uh, and we're, we're, um, we're really exploring the edge spaces, not just within education, but also what's happening in industry. So I mentioned Ken Sanderson. He was one of our guests. We have some other great folks that uh, are joining us from across industry over the next couple of weeks that we're going to be releasing these podcasts. Um, and so our goal is really to drive interest and understanding in these, how the rest of the world is changing and why and how higher ed has to change as a part of this overall environment that's changing, the technologies that are changing, uh, the additional gears that we have in our lives that uh, whether, we, whether we can feel that problem or not, uh, it's a little mm. bit like boiling a frog when we talk about longevity. None of us can see our own longevity, so it's very hard to understand, but people are living about two years longer every decade, and that's really beginning to have an ec economic impact as well as an educational impact. Uh, so we explore all that and learn, earn, relearn, uh, where we've released uh, two of the three episodes um, to date uh, at, the, at the time that this episode is being recorded for your podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so in the next few weeks, we'll have all five episodes out. And, uh, and so for us, it's just an experiment in the space. Uh, as I said before, it's a great chance to meet really intriguing and interesting people from around the world. So we have a futurist coming up. We have uh, a head uh, chief human resource officer from a major tech company we're going to be interviewing. And so, uh, so that's what it's all about. And it's exploring these spaces in some depth. Uh, within higher ed, but also in people who are doing technological work in other spaces that we should be aware of. Absolutely. Well, Ravi, congratulations on, on that. And by the time, I believe by the time this episode will be live, all the episodes of, of your, your show should be live. So again, folks, I'd, I'd highly, highly recommend uh, Learn, Earn, Relearn. Check it out. Um, hear more awesome stuff from Ravi and his group. Um now, just in closing for ours, I mean, one thing we like to do is as we close out our podcasts is uh, give people some travel advice. Uh, you know, obviously Seattle is a is a a pretty awesome place to to, to visit uh, for work or you know for vacation. If someone wanted to go out for dinner in your city, where they where do they need to go? 
Boy, that is a that is a really tricky question these days. We have Big so question many for Seattle. great uh, <laughs> restaurants um, uh, that uh, that I would recommend. I mean, I think you know there's some classics uh, like Rick's Boathouse. I think is uh, always that's been around forever. Great water views, food's always good. You know, so I think that's always something to uh, to take a look at. So I would definitely start there if you're looking for the sort of uh, experience uh, over the. The food is good, but it's the view. Uh, there's a Space Needle restaurant that rotates and oh, uh, has a glass floor now, which uh, if you're afraid of heights, that might not be the restaurant yeah, to eat in for you. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I but it is an experience restaurant. So I'll give you those two. There you go. Roby, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. Thank you so much for your time. It is so great to be here. I'm, I'm excited uh, every time your new podcasts come out. So thank you so much for including it's me. It's kind of you to say. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.